And here we go. Oh, good grief. All right, enough of that. That was funny. Hey, welcome everybody to the Creating Geeks podcast. Hey, hey, I'm running the show. Well, Sarah's running the show, apparently. Yes, I'm stealing the podcast. Bringing it back. Anyways, so welcome back to Creating Geeks. Um, if you couldn't tell by our intro, this episode is all about Peanuts, a.k.a. Charlie Brown and Gang. Um, let's see, bear with me. Um, Chris, as he always says, um, blab about your Patreon. Oh, you're, you're doing this. Fine. No, I'll do it. Um, as always, you can go to patreon.com slash thechippa for um, the ability to support this and the other podcasts that Sarah and I um, do. Um, I call that The Chippa Made This on YouTube. Um, it's the Chipman Brothers Tangent, the Talkbuster podcast, which is a podcast about my time working at Blockbuster and other video store and movie re- rental-related funness. And there's also shooting the SH apostrophe T or star asterisk. T, asterisk T with Chippa, which is just another interview-style show. Um, so thank you again for the support so far, and thank you for listening. And um, with that, back to Sarah. Okay, so like I said, this episode is about Charlie Brown, um, the Peanuts Gang, and the specials, movies, whatever you want to call them, that have been around for a bajillion years, as it were. Um, as If you had listened to the podcast before this, and we talked about Christmas specials, we did mention um, a Charlie Brown Christmas um, that is um, kind of what gave us the idea to branch off onto all of Charlie Brown since there's a Charlie Brown for every holiday. Um, so let's give you a little information on the Peanuts. Peanuts is a syndicated daily and Sunday American comic strip written and illustrated by Charles M. Schultz that ran from October 2nd, 1950 to February 13th, 2000. Continuing in reruns afterwards, Peanuts is among the most popular and influential in the history of comic strips with 17,897 strips published in all, making it arguably the longest story ever told by one human being. It's amazing, right? Wow. At its peak in the mid to late eight, uh, 1960s, Peanuts ran into over ran in over 2,000 6,000 newspapers 2,000, 6,000? 2,600 newspapers with a readership of around 355 million in 75 countries and was translated into 21 languages. It helped to cement the four-panel gang gag strip as the standard in the United States, and together with its merchandise, earned Schultz more than $1 billion. The strip focuses entirely on a social circle of young children, where adults exist but are rarely seen or heard. The main character, Charlie Brown, is meek, nervous, and lacks self-confidence. I'm right there with you, dude. He is unlike he is unable to fly a kite, win a baseball game, or kick a football held by his erasable. Thank you, Wikipedia, for using a weird word. Erasable friend Lucy. Basically, she's a pain in the ass who always pulls it away at the last instant. Douchebag. Anyways, Peanuts is one of the, the of the literate strips with philosophical 
psychological, and sociological overtones that flourished in the 1950s. The strip's humor, at least during its 60s peak, is psychologically complex and the characters' interactions form a triangle of relationships that drove the strip. In addition to the strip and numerous books, the Peanuts characters have appeared in animated form on television numerous times. This started when the Ford Motor Company licensed the characters in early 1959 for a series of color television commercials for its automobiles and intros for the Tennessee Ernie Ford show, which they sponsored. While the show ended in 1961, the deal lasted another three years. The ads were animated by Bill Melendez for Playhouse Pictures, a cartoon studio that Ford has had as a client. <clears throat> Schultz and Melendez became friends, and when producer Lee Mendelson decided to make a two-minute animated sequence for a TV documentary called The Boy Named Charlie Brown in 1963, he brought on Melendez for the project. Before the documentary was completed, the three of them, with help from their sponsor, the Coca-Cola Company, produced their first half-hour animated special, the Emmy and PBD award-winning, well-known, A Charlie Brown Christmas, which was first aired on the CBS Network on December 9th, 1965. This episode is undoubtedly the most widely recognized of all Peanuts TV specials. This came with after Coca-Cola asked Mendelton, Mendelson if he had a Christmas special. He said yes, and the next day he called Schultz up and said they were making A Charlie Brown Christmas. The animated version of Peanuts differs in some aspects from the comic strip. In the strip, adult voices are always, are, not always, but are heard, though conversations are usually only depicted from the children's end. To translate this aspect to the animated medium, the sound of a trombone with a solitone mute, created by Vince Guaraldi and played by Dean Hubbard, was used to simulate the adult voices. A more significant deviation from the strip was the treatment of Snoopy. <clears throat> in the strip, the dog's thoughts are verbalized in thought balloons. In animation, he is typically mute. His thoughts communicated through growls or laughs voiced by Bill Melendez and pantomime, or by having human characters verbalizing his thoughts for him. These treatments have both been abandoned temporarily in the past. For example, they experiment with teacher dialogue and She's a Good Skate, Charlie Brown. The elimination of Snoopy's voice is probably the most controversial aspect of the adaptations, but Schultz apparently approved of the treatment. The success of A Charlie Brown Christmas was the impetus for CBS to air many more primetime peanut specials over the years, beginning with Charlie Brown's All-Stars and is the Great Punk and It's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown in 1966. In total, more than 30 animated specials were produced until his death in 1976. A jazz pianist, Vincent Caraldi, composed musical scores for the specials, in particular the piece Lucy and Linus, which is the one we hummed, which was which has become properly known as the signature theme of the Peanuts franchise. Schultz, Mendelssohn, and Melendez also collaborated on four theatrical feature films starring the characters, the first of which was A Boy Named Charlie Brown. Most of these made use of material from Schultz's strips, which were then adapted, although in other cases, plots were developed in subject areas where there were minimal strips to reference. The 1971 TV special Play It Again, Charlie Brown, was the first time that someone other than Pete Robbins voiced Charlie Brown, which is the case with Chris... Uh, which in this case was Chris Inglis. The characters' voices were slightly deeper than usual. It would be like that for the rest of the TV specials. In 1972, the second feature film, Snoopy Come Home, was released. This was the first time that Snoopy's thoughts were communicated to the audience. The film's theme of loss made it have as much, of a, uh, as much sadness as any animation centering on Charlie Brown. 
Snoopy and Charlie Brown's parting, Charlie Brown's inability to cope without his friend, and Snoopy's farewell to his former owner, Lila, are often pointed out as poignant moments in the history of Peanuts. Starting with the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, Phil Roman would direct the specials. It's Arbor Day, Charlie Brown was the last special produced with during Vince Guaraldi's lifetime, as he died two months before the special aired. It was dedicated to him. Ed Bogus composed the musical scores of Peanuts television specials 1977 until 1989. Judy Munson composed the musical scores alongside Ed Bogus from 77 to 1992. Desiree Goyette briefly composed the musical scores on and off during the 80s. Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown was the first project done after Gowaldi's death. It used the same voice cast as You're a Good Sport, Charlie Brown. It's Your First Kiss, Charlie Brown, and What a Nightmare, Charlie Brown. Featuring Linus and Lucy's arrangements, Ed Bogus and Judy Munson. Starting with the Charlie Brown celebration, Bill Melendez would, redec- would direct the specials again. A Charlie Brown celebration, It's an Adventure Charlie Brown, and the Charlie Brown and Snoopy show all had vignettes, while It's Flash Beagle Charlie Brown, You're a Good Man Charlie Brown, and Snoopy! Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. The musical were musicals, um, though there were two songs in Happy New Year Charlie Brown. It's the Girl in the Red Truck, Charlie Brown, was the only special during this period in which Ed Bogus, Judy Munson, or Desiree Goyette were not involved in music production, with Paul Rodriguez as the composer. The former and latter would stop scoring the specials in 1990. David Benoit redid Vince Guaraldi's musical scores from 1992 until 2006. That's Benoit. Benoit. David Benoit. I don't care. He's not Vincent Guaraldi. Anyway. (laughs) Since then, various composers have composed the musical scores in more recent productions. Citation needed. It's from Wikipedia. Shh, don't tell them. Well, you just said citation needed. (laughs) They're supposed to think we just know this stuff. (laughs) By the mid-1990s, the episodes... The... By the mid-1990s, the special's popularity had begun to wane, and CBS showed disinterest in in new specials, even rejecting its spring training, Charlie Brown, completely. An eight-episode TV, eight TV miniseries called This is America, Charlie Brown, for instance, was released during Winter Strike, and NBC aired... During a writer's strike. Writer's strike. And also, NBC aired You're in the Super Bowl, Charlie Brown, in 1994, the first special not to air on CBS, 10 days before Super Bowl... XXV... 28. 28, thank you. Eventually, the last peanut special made during Schultz's lifetime were released direct-to-video, and no new ones were created until the year 2000, when ABC obtained the rights to three fall holiday specials. The Nickelodeon Cable Network re-aired a package of the most, most of the specials produced before 92, as well as Charlie Brown and Snoopy Show, and This is America, Charlie Brown, under the umbrella title you're on Nickelodeon, Charlie Brown, between 1997 and 2001. Eight Peanuts-based specials have been made <laughs> posthumously. Of these, three are tributes to Peanuts or other peanut specials, and five are completely new specials based on dialogue from the strips and ideas given to ABC by Schultz before his death. He's a Bully, Charlie Brown, was telecast on ABC on November 20th, 2006, following a reprint broadcast of A Charlie Brown Thanksgiving. Airing 43 years after the first special, 
the premiere of He's a Bully, Charlie Brown was watched by nearly 10 million viewers, winning its time slot and beating a Madonna concert special. In the 2010 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, it was announced that the new Peanuts animated special, Happiness is a Warm Blanket, Charlie Brown, would debut in 2011. The special was released on DVD first on March 29th and later premiered on Fox on November 24th. Heard of that one. Many of the specials and feature films have also been released on various home video formats over the years. To date, 20 of the specials, the two films, Boy Named Charlie Brown and Snoopy Come Home, and the miniseries This Is America, Charlie Brown, have all been released to DVD. We have to get This Is America, Charlie Brown. Now, I, this would be a good spot for me to insert the thing that I've been questioning and asking for the last year, is why the hell isn't all of these specials and movies and every single Charlie Brown animated thing ever all in one big ass I think this has kind of answered it because a bunch of different people own the rights. Well, why can't someone just buy all the rights or why can't they just play nice and all? No one ever plays nice, you know that. Because I would buy that like 10 times if they did that. Oh, so wait a minute. This might help. In October 2007, Warner Brothers acquired the entire Peanuts catalog from Paramount for an undisclosed amount of money. As aforementioned, they now hold the worldwide distribution rights for all Peanuts properties, including over 50 television specials. These are originally managed by Warner Brothers Television and Warner Brothers Television Animation. Warner Brothers has made plans to develop new specials for television, as well as the direct-to-video market, as well as shorts subject for digital distribution, and some of these have in fact already been released via Warner Premiere. Paramount retains the rights to the theatrical releases, as the first two movies, A Boy Named Charlie Brown and Snoopy Come Home, are owned by CBS and distributed for home video through Paramount, while CTD distributes for television. And the other two, Race for Your Life, Charlie Brown and Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown, and Don't Come Back, were handled in-house by Paramount, with Trifecta holding TV distribution rights. So it's all kind of bonkers. Well, it's bullshit and they should fix it. Peanuts Worldwide has partnered with Normal Animation and France Televisions to produce 592nd animated short films adapted from the Peanuts, from the strip Peanuts, which aired in fall 2014, including on French television station. I want to check that out. That's awesome. In October 2012, (laughs) it was announced that a 3D computer animated feature film titled The Peanuts Movie would be released on November 6, 2015, coinciding with the 65th anniversary of the debut of the comic strip and the 50th anniversary of the television special The Charlie Brown Christmas. Written by Charles Schultz's son, Craig, his grandson, Brian, and Karini... Cornelius Uliano, who are also producing the film alongside Paul Feig, um, director of uh, Spy and the uh, newest Ghostbusters movie. It was animated by 20th Century Fox's Blue Sky Studios and directed by Steve Martino, the director of Horton Hears a Who and Ice Age Continental Drift. A trailer for the film was released on March 18, 2014. That same day, it was also announced that archival recordings of Bill Melendez would be used to make Snoopy and Woodstock's dialogue, which I thought was awesome. I forgot about that. With an opening North American weekend of $44 million, the Peanuts movie went on to earn over $130 million in the North American markets and a total of $246 million worldwide. We opted, um, after going through this, to leave a deeper discussion about the Peanuts movie out of this. Maybe do that on a future thing because the, the specials that we're going to cover here are um, exhaustive enough. But I just wanted to let everybody know if you haven't seen it and you're a fan of the Peanuts, um, it is 100% guaranteed view. Um, not guaranteed. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you absolutely have to see it. Um, it 
it covers a lot of the same ground and territory as the specials, um, but it's wonderfully done, as you saw um, Schultz's son and grandson um, made it. Um, it's done with a lot of care and love, um, and I thought it was great. Um, do you agree? I really liked it, and I've, I've said before I'm a purist when it comes to remakes and this kind of thing, and I really liked it for what it was. I wouldn't be mad if they made another one. Cool. So... So for the focus of um this podcast, my podcast, uh, yeah, of Cesar's, um, we plan on focusing our discussion on the following Charlie Brown movies, um, the big three or five maybe, <laughs> uh, holiday ones: a Charlie Brown Christmas, it's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown, a Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, it's the Easter Beagle Charlie Brown, Be My Valentine Charlie Brown, Bon Voyage Charlie Brown, and Don't Come Back, and Snoopy Come Home, um. All right, we already discussed it in our Christmas special episode, but like I said, for completeness, we'll discuss Charlie Brown Christmas again. A Charlie Brown Christmas is a 1965 animated television special. Um, I'm reading. What the hell are you doing? I clicked the wrong button. Asshole. All right. What do you mean that doesn't work? Oh, crap. Um, A Charlie Brown Christmas is a 1965 animated television special based on the comic strip Peanuts by Charles M. Schultz. Produced by Lee Mendelssohn and directed by Bill Melendez, the program made its debut on CBS on December 9, 1965. In the special, lead character Charlie Brown finds himself depressed (coughs) despite the onset of the cheerful holiday season. Lucy suggests he direct a neighborhood Christmas play, but his best efforts are ignored and mocked by his peers. After Linus tells Charlie Brown about the true meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown cheers up and the Peanuts gang unites to celebrate the Christmas season. Um, all right, initial experience. As I said before, this is probably the um, pinnacle of the Charlie Brown holiday movies for me. Like, it is just not Christmas without the special, without watching it. Um, it's the thing that, like, all Charlie Brown stuff is based on. Like, I have ornaments and toys, and, like, you just, when it's Christmas time, you see all kinds of Charlie Brown. Stuff. And like you mentioned before, the, the Vince Guaraldi themes started in this. I mean, it's the first one. Mm-hmm. And they carried through even to after he passed away, mm-hmm. those same um, um, types mm-hmm. of music and scores. Um, I agree with you. My, my initial experience of this, like we talked about before, I, I can't remember a world in which I didn't watch this every year. Yeah, I don't remember life without the we peanuts. We had it on VHS. <laughs> I mean, oh, that back when we were kids, that's the only way you could watch it. Yeah, was to watch it on TV and then VHS tape it because it wasn't out. I don't think to buy on VHS. And revisiting this now, I mean, we covered it before. This is kind of be the theme I think throughout this whole thing, but it holds up. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, Charles Schultz was a genius. Um, it's interesting how often they change the voice actors because even the ones that were like a year or two apart, the kids all sound different. But I, thought, I think that's kind of the charm. Is that they never quite always sound the same? And what do you think age appropriateness? I mean, the, the kids the kids talk like adults. I don't know. I think it's I, a cartoon. I don't really. I but our really daughter loves it. Put a cap on the age. I mean, she's been watching them since she was a baby. Yeah, and, and I'm like, we watch them. And unlike she a them. lot of stuff from the time period, I feel like there's not much that like is out of date in it. Yeah. You know, the kids, unlike, you know, some things from like the 60s, 70s, you know, the kids sometimes do things that would be considered not okay. There's no, not a whole lot of, you know, like riding bicycles without helmets. There's no uh, and cigarettes. I always <laughs> say, though, if your kid's going to learn something from a TV show, then you're parenting over. Also true. 
that's a whole that's a tangent. Yeah, that that's a whole nother episode. So now we get into the big one for me. Halloween was always a very important holiday in my house and my family, and I think most of my early childhood views of Halloween um, and remembrances come from it's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. So it's the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown is in 1966, so one year after um, the Christmas special, American primetime animated television special based on the comic strip Peanuts by Charles M. Schultz. I mean, that's why you're here, right? A Halloween special. It was the third Peanuts special and second holiday-themed special following a Charlie Brown Christmas to be produced and animated by Bill Melendez. It was also the first Peanuts special to use the titular pattern of short phrase followed by Charlie Brown a pattern which would remain the norm for almost all subsequent Peanuts specials. Its initial broadcast took place on October 27, 1966 on CBS, preempting My Three Sons. The original sponsors were Coca-Cola, the original sponsor of A Charlie Brown Christmas, and the Dolly Madison brand of baked snack foods, <clears throat> which would go on to be a longtime co-sponsor of the Peanuts specials on CBS. It was re-aired annually through 2000, with ABC picking up the rights beginning in 2001, where it now airs annually during the Halloween season. Um, going to do a compressed version of the plot, because this one has the longest plot, but, uh, you know, with Fall in Full Swing, the Peanuts gang prepares for Halloween. Um, a really interesting thing I always like about the cold open of this, which I'll just talk about real quick, is with the ballad of Lucy and Linus playing, Lucy and her brother Linus grab a big pumpkin and it's only with music and they're walking across and they bring it into the house and then Lucy cuts it open to turn it into a jack-o'-lantern with, oh, I didn't know you were going to kill it. And that to me is one of my favorite things in any of these. It's such a innocently child thing to come out of another kid's mouth um and it's just perfect i mean how do you describe that to your kid you know what we're about to do to this pumpkin um it's very interesting so it starts with linus writing his yearly letter to the great pumpkin which is um you know in linus's eyes the great pumpkin is the santa claus style um person for halloween who's going to bring them gifts despite charlie brown's disbelief snoopy's laughter patty's assurance that the great pumpkin is a fake and even his own sister lucy who threatens to pound him she is watching tv and reading a tv guide with her picture on it which i always thought was interesting only sally charlie brown's younger sister smitten with linus supports him until charlie brown takes her away on Halloween night, the gang, including Sally, goes trick-or-treating, each with their own costume, most dressed as ghosts in simple white sheet costumes. Charlie Brown botches his costume, giving it too many holes because of trouble with scissors. Again, such a childlike thing. Pigpen's trademark dust cloud makes him easy to identify. Lucy dresses as a witch, saying it's the opposite of her real personality. We, we know different, right? Mm. Um, on the way, they stop at a pumpkin patch to jeer at Linus for missing the festivities just as he did the previous year. Undeterred, Linus is convinced that the great pumpkin will come to his sincere pumpkin patch and tries to convince Sally to join him. Sally, acting almost entirely on her infatuation with Linus, agrees to skip trick-or-treating. I have to interject before I start the next paragraph, but couldn't you swing that as the same as the, uh, baby, it's cold outside? What do you mean? Linus is trying to get Sally to sit in a pumpkin patch with him by himself at night. I mean, I guess you could. Sorry, my brain just went there. Anyways, <laughs> during tricks or treats, um, the kids get their goodies, except for Charlie Brown, who gets nothing but rocks. I got, got a, a rock. rock. I say that all the time. Like I'm always quoting that. Meanwhile, Snoopy, wearing his World War One flying ace costume, clip, climbs aboard his doghouse 
imagining it to be a Sopwith camel fighter plane to fight with the Red Baron. After a fierce but losing battle, Stubby makes his way across the countryside to briefly crash the Halloween party, sneaking into an apple bobbing tank. He accidentally kisses Lucy when she picks up an apple, disgusting her and sending her into the same circling frenzy as she did in a Charlie Brown Christmas. Linus and Sally are still on the <laughs> pumpkin patch when Linus sees a shadowy figure rising from the moonlit patch. <clears throat> he assumes Sorry. the great pumpkin is there and faints. <clears throat> Sally sees that it is only Snoopy. When Linus awakes, she furiously yells at him for making her miss the Halloween festivities when Charlie Brown and the others come to get her. As they leave, Linus, still convinced that the great pumpkin will materialize, promises to put in a good word for them if he comes. At four o'clock the next morning, Lucy realizes that Linus is not in his bed. She finds her brother in the pumpkin patch, shivering in his clothes, huddled under his blanket and half asleep. She brings him home, takes off his shoes, and puts him to bed. When daylight comes, Charlie Brown and Linus against a wall and commis- uh, lean against a wall commiserate about the Previous night's disappointments, Charlie Brown attempts to console his friend by saying he was he's done stupid things in his life, too. This infuriates Linus, who begins to vow that Great Pumpkin will come to the pumpkin patch next year. Charlie Brown listens with an annoyed look on his face as he as the credits roll. The program was nominated for a 1966 Emmy Award. It has been issued on home video with se- several times, including a remastered deluxe edition of the special released by Warner Home Video on, in 2008. With the bonus feature, it's Magic Charlie Brown, which was released in 1981. To celebrate its 40th anniversary, a retrospective book was published in 2006. It's The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, the making of a television classic. Includes the entire script, never-before-seen photographs, storyboard excerpts, an interview with the original child actors who portrayed the voices of the Peanuts gang. A history of the program and the various religious interpretations of Linus's sincere belief in the Great Pumpkin are explained in a 2015 book, A Charlie Brown Religion. Sounds interesting. All right. <clears throat> Initial experience. Um, the same as the other one, just seeing it on TV. I think this is, like, the least of my favorites. Like, I love really? it and I have to watch it, but I think this is the... Like the low, you it's know, funny. This one's, this one's my this, favorite. This one would be the lowest, I think. Like, I have to watch it every year, and I do love it, but it, it's not like one of the ones that I get super excited about. It's interesting, but I do love it. Like I said, I always quote that I got a rock, I got a rock, <laughs> yeah. And uh, revisiting it, I mean, it holds up for me. It, it, it yeah. this, I don't know why this one just it has a it must be just because I like Halloween so much. I think part of it is the ones where they do the Red Baron thing drives me crazy. I don't know. Really? I don't know why. I've never, like, the World War One Flying Ace stuff, I just, I never got into that part of it. It always annoyed me, and I always was like, yeah, I, just, I don't want to, I don't care. Just be a dog. Interesting. Um, Yeah, and again, share it with your kids. This one's yeah, great. Ava loves it. She calls things tricks or treats. I have a question. Yeah. Do you remember the special... And I think it may have been two parts to it. I don't remember where Snoopy goes off on a date with another dog and yeah. Charlie Brown's the sitting down on the porch. But I don't remember which one that and, is. And then he has his brother Spike. I don't know if that's all the same thing or not. Uh, wasn't that Snoopy come home? No, Snoopy comes home is when he goes off to see his owner. Oh, that's right. His brother Spike comes out. Yeah, I don't remember that one from somewhere. I had that on VHS or. Devote off TV, recorded on whatever you want to call it. Oh, excuse me. A Charlie Brown Thanksgiving is the tenth primetime animated short film based upon the popular comic strip Peanuts by Charles M. Schultz. It was originally aired on the 
to CBS Network on November 20th, 1973 and won an Emmy the following year. Charlie Brown and Sally are preparing to go to their grandmother's for Thanksgiving dinner when Charlie Brown gets a phone call by, from Peppermint Patty, who is more pushy and annoying in this one than she is in any of the other ones, yes. who invites herself over to Charlie Brown's house for the holiday dinner. Two quick subsequent phone calls from Peppermint Patty and Marcy and Franklin to add Marcy and Franklin to the guest list. But since Charlie Brown cannot get a word in edgewise with Patty, he quickly finds himself in a quandary with no easy solution, at least not until Linus shows up. Linus suggests to Charlie Brown that he could have two Thanksgiving dinners, the first one for Patty and her friends and the second one at his grandmother's house. Charlie Brown says he cannot make a Thanksgiving dinner. He says that all he knows how to make is cold cereal and maybe toast. Regardless, Linus recruits Soup, Snoopy and Woodstock to help. Why is Linus the, the one with the blanket that's the voice of reason and the smart one, and he's the one that's, like, sucking his thumb with a blanket? I, I think it's meant to be ironic. It's ironical. The guests arrive and make their way to the background, yeah, the back, backyard for the Thanksgiving feast. Linus leads the group in prayer. That details the first Thanksgiving in 1621, and then Snoopy serves up the feast, which includes buttered toast, pretzel steaks, popcorn, jelly beans, and an ice cream sundae. Patty's initial shock at the unconventional meal quickly turns to outrage, and when she loudly berates Charlie Brown, he timidly leaves the table. Patty's tirade continues until Marcy quietly reminds her that she had invited herself along with Marcy and Franklin. Coming to her senses, Patty asks Marcy to apologize to Charlie Brown on her behalf. Marcy reluctantly agrees, but soon Patty soon follows and apologizes to him herself. During the quasi-feast, Charlie Brown is reminded that he and Sally are due at their grandmother's house for dinner and will now be a little late, so he calls her and explains his situation. When he mentions his friends are there and that they have not yet eaten, his grandmother invites them all to Thanksgiving dinner, which is welcomed with cheers from everyone. After the kids leave, Snoopy and Woodstock go to the doghouse and cook up their own traditional Thanksgiving meal that includes a turkey complete with all the trimmings. Over the end credits, the two friends each devour dessert, a large piece of pumpkin pie, and then sit back with contented smiles as Woodstock pats his full stomach. As of 2018, the special continues to be aired every November in primetime, now on the ABC network in the United States. In Canada, it has recently been aired on Family Channel in, uh, as of 2018. It was the third holiday special after a Charlie Brown Christmas in 1965, and it's The Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown in 1966. In 1988, a miniseries called This Is America, Charlie Brown aired the first episode of which aired. The first episode of which was called The Mayflower Voyagers. This episode often airs along with the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving and is on DVD for it as well. In 19, uh, 1620, the Phoenix are among the 30 children aboard the Mayflower set to establish Plymouth Colony. While hardships plague the new colony and claim the lives of many of its members of all of the children survive, and the pilgrims' faith in God allows them to persevere. In the spring of 1621, with the colony's future uncertain, the pilgrims uh, meet Native Americans Semoset and Squanto, who miraculously speak English. The natives teach the pilgrims how to live off the land, lead to the first Thanksgiving and a 50-year peace treaty. This special holds a very special place for my family, or our family as it was, as it has been known for quite some time and recently proven that um, my family's name, Chipman, is directly descended from John Howland, who was well known as the pilgrim who fell off the Mayflower and had to be saved. And the funny thing about that is that me and thousands of other people wouldn't be here if that hadn't happened. The even funnier thing is that the pilgrims were considered basically steerage, and the guy that saved him was court-martialed for it, which I find really interesting. So, 
they shouldn't have saved him and Christian I shouldn't be here. here. Um, now, what makes that even more interesting is it's not just that there's an episode about the Mayflower, but this is the only Mayflower TV special I've seen that actually calls out John Howland by name during it. The peanuts are all on the, on the deck talking, and then you hear, oh, no, what happened? John Howland fell off the edge of the ship. And I'm like, holy crap, yeah, that's my long, 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 long ago uh, grandfather or uncle or whatever. Now, this one is my all-time favorite one. Thanksgiving or the Mayflower? The Mayflower. Because I love colonial history. And I think why I like it so much is they took the Lucy and Linus dun dun dun, dun and they slow it down. I remember for that. the special, and they give it that. I don't know. It just gives me these like old time colonial like makes you want to go to like Plymouth Plantation and like sit out and look at the fall. I don't know. I just it's my favorite one. And and a reminder, you know, to people that might not be from the area, we're in listening to this. You know, I think the the fall. Um, the fall holidays and the history involving Thanksgiving, it, it, it resonates with us a lot more because, you know, we live in the Northeast. We live in Massachusetts. Um, you know, this is where the revolution was. This is where the pilgrims came to, you know, Plymouth Plantation's an hour and 15 minutes away, right? You know, we, we can go down there. So, you know, we've had this in our lives, like growing well, up. I want it to be Thanksgiving again, like legit, like I want Thanksgiving again. Um, so yeah, um, again, I, I think we don't really have to go through the initial experience revisiting. I mean, this is your favorite one. Um, yeah. I love this one. This one, I'm going to be the happiest to show to our kids because of all the history that it has. In it. Yeah. And another thing, thinking about this one and going back, I feel like the kids get a lot of personality in this one. Like each yeah. one during that dinner table sequence kind of has their own, like, you know, Peppermint Patty and Marcy are doing a lot more. It's not just Charlie Brown and Linus, you yeah. know, kind of taking on the, uh, like, yeah. like maybe in the other couple. And I, I like that. So you want to go on to the next one? Yes. It's the Easter Beagle, Charlie Brown. This is my favorite holiday one. Is the 12th print um, primetime animated TV special based on the comic strip Peanuts by Charles M. Schultz. In the United States, it debuted on CBS on April 9th at... Uh, 1974 at 8 p.m. Thereafter, CBS aired it each Easter season from 74 to 2000. ABC repeated the special in some years during the period 2001 to 2014. While most of the Peanuts gang is getting ready for Easter, Linus, certain it is all a waste of time, tries in vain to convince them that the Easter Beagle, who is really Snoopy in disguise, will take care of everything. Why is it always Linus that's creating like these wackadoodle like, <laughs> only Charlie Brown's sister Sally believes him, of course, although she still has some suspicions after she and Linus waited without success to see the Great Pumpkin the previous Halloween. <laughs> Peppermint Patty and Marcy attempt to color Easter eggs, but as, as it is Marcy's first time, she does not know how to prepare the eggs properly. Marcy's first attempt fails as she fries the eggs on a griddle and then flips them with a spatula. The second attempt, Marcy tries cooking eggs on a waffle iron for four of the eggs and a toaster for one of them and baking them in the oven for the remaining eight. In the third and final attempt, Peppermint Patty now has spent the last of her money on more eggs. On more eggs. She, after having spent the last... Redundant. Yes, redundant. She explains to Marcy that the eggs must be cooked in boiling water and not fried, roasted, toasted, nor waffle pressed. Marcy puts the eggs in the pot of boiling water and boils them, but puts them in the pot of water without the eggshells, cracking the eggs out from their shells. Womp womp. 
When she does, she makes egg soup. At the end of the final attempt, Peppermint Patty is out of money. Then they end up with no colored eggs and cannot make any more attempts. When Linus tells them about the Easter Beagle, Peppermint Patty suggests to agree with Linus's idea. Woodstock wakes in his nest, shivering after a chilly spring rain. He goes to Snoopy for help, and Snoopy goes to a department store to buy a birdhouse. At first, Woodstock hates it, but soon redecorates it into a bachelor pad, complete with television, contemporary artwork, a sunken bed, carpeting, and quadraphonic stereo system. Curious to see more of the inside, Snoopy's nose gets stuck in the door, causing the birdhouse to break and forcing him to buy a replacement. Can I just tell you, I love that, but I like when he's looking into the eggs and there's the, the dancing bunnies. Yes. Oh my god, I love the dancing bunnies so much. Um, Lucy believes that Easter is a gift-getting season, and much to Schroeder's chagrin. I think we've mentioned Schroeder before. He's some poor schmuck that just sits and plays the piano that Lucy has a thing for. A big-time thing for, and he couldn't be interested less. She decides to have her own egg hunt and hides each egg, Easter egg she paints to find them all on Easter morning. Unknown to her, Snoopy follows her and takes the eggs. Easter morning arrives, and so does the Easter beagle, Snoopy. He tosses eggs to everyone <coughs> and even tosses one into Woodstock's new birdhouse. Unfortunately, by the time he gets to Charlie Brown, he has no more eggs. Womp womp. He gives Charlie Brown an embarrassed smile as there is no egg for, Char- for him. For Charlie Brown. After Sally, Lucy, and Linus have now received their eggs, Sally believes that Linus was right. There really was an Easter Beagle. Lucy says that the Easter Beagle gave her um, gave her own egg to her. When Peppermint, Patty, and Marcy receive their eggs, Marcy asks what she should do with it. Patty tells her that they put salt on them and eat them. Marcy salts her egg and takes a bite without removing the shell. Oh, Marcy. I thought she was a smart one. Lucy soon realizes that Snoopy gave her one of her own. What? Redundant again. Ten weeks pass and Lucy is still brooding about it. Linus suggests that she talk about it with... What? She visits Snoopy's doghouse to pick a fight, but Snoopy takes the fight out of her with a disarming kiss. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, that's absolutely how that happens. So my initial experience with this is non-existent um, because I had never seen this one until I saw it with you. We really? had it. Yeah, um I I for some reason, I don't know why, um never saw it's yeah. the Easter Beagle Charlie Brown. Yeah, this one is not one of the ones that they air a lot and it can you stop doing that? Um is not one of the three like they sell a set of three that has the Halloween, the Thanksgiving and the Christmas ones. Doesn't include the Easter one and it doesn't include the Valentine's Day. So this one wasn't as big as the other ones. Interesting. But, yeah, it's another one that I remember watching on TV all the time as a kid. Um, again, I probably have it on VHS up in the attic and bought it on uh, DVD. I'm trying to think what the other one is on the DVD with. I don't know. I'll have to look because I'm sure there's one on there. Anyways, next one is Be My Valentine, Charlie Brown. Um, it's the 13th primetime animated TV special based upon the comic strip by Charles Schultz. It originally aired on CBS Network on January 28th, 1975, and annually aired on CBS from 75 to 2000. It has aired annually on ABC since 2001. Linus is fond of his teacher, Miss Othmar. Now, that's an interesting statement to start any of these with. Um, this would not play in a show today, Yeah, having a kid smitten with his teacher. But anyway, to prove his point, he buys her a huge heart-shaped box of chocolates. However, Violet warns him that it's probably not smart to fall in love with a teacher. The Linus says that he is fond of the ground she walks on. When he leaves Sally 
When he leaves, Sally believes that Linus bought the candy for her and decides to make him a valentine in return. Later, Lucy goes to a puppet show held by Snoopy. At the concession stand, Lucy asks for popcorn. However, because Snoopy cannot understand Lucy, he gives her candy, then soda, and finally, as having been requested all along, popcorn. With Charlie Brown narrating the show, Snoopy tells a story about true lovers that is a little too interactive for Lucy's tastes. <laughs> Damn Snoopy and Lucy. <laughs> Again, with all this bestiality going on in this show. Valentine's Day then comes, and the gang brings Valentine cards for everyone. At Birchwood School, Schroeder explains a box labeled Valentine's for those we love, with a slot for putting the cards in. Charlie Brown brings a briefcase, hoping he will get lots of Valentine's. However, after the cards are passed out, it turns out Charlie Brown got nothing. He got nothing except for Candy Heart, Candy Heart, which reads an impolite, Forget it, kid. <coughs> Talking is going to kill you. Yeah, right. Angry, Charlie Brown throws the Valentine box out of the classroom window. Linus also never gave his candy to Miss Othmar because she left with her boyfriend. Sally, who still believes the box of candy is for her, is dismayed when he attempts to go after the teacher to give her the candy. Charlie Brown and Linus vent their heartbreak in different ways. I'd sometimes laughing because Chris is just shaking his head as I read this. Linus throws his chocolates off a bridge. This one is for love. This one is for Valentine's. This one is for romance, he says. Not knowing that Snoopy and Woodstock are under it catching and eating every chocolate <laughs> he throws off. <laughs> <clears throat> Charlie Brown kicks his mailbox, only to have Snoopy pop out of it and kiss him. I hate Valentine's Day, Charlie Brown says. The next day, Violet gives Charlie Brown a used Valentine. She stuck her own name on it from it. Um, as an apology, despite Schroeder ber berating her for dropping by the day after Valentine's Day and acting out of guilt. Don't listen to him. I'll take you, Charlie Brown says. As Charlie Brown and Linus meet at the brick wall later, Charlie Brown expressed hope that Violet's pity Valentine will start a trend and he will get even more Valentines the following year. So this is one that I remember seeing um, when I was young. Um I don't remember it being as weird like. as it sounds like it was. Yeah. I, I also book. I, I also I also feel like I'm getting it confused. Was there a sequel to this, or maybe it was Charlie Brown's first kiss that was the first time the red haired girl showed up? I think the so. little red haired because I always thought she was in this one. Um, so you know, I haven't revisited this one. You just bought this recently, yeah, but. I'd say thematically, this one's strange enough that I, I might not be okay with showing this one to my kids. Really? This one just seems a little weird to me. Really? Especially really with... No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I just... Like, Linus being obsessed with his teacher. Yeah, but what <laughs> kid doesn't have a crush on their teacher, though? I guess. I guess. Anyway, you know. what about you? I remember having it as a book. And I think I probably saw the cartoon a couple times. Like, this is another one that's not as prominent as the... Christmas, Thanksgiving, and Halloween ones, but I'm starting to feel like the brick wall is like Charlie Brown and Linus's version of a bar. It is, and it's kind of, it's the way they break the fourth wall, you know, to kind of have, this is like the audience perspective yeah. at the end. So that's interesting. So yeah, that's, um, that's the TV specials that we feel like covering, and now we're going to do two of the films that um, they did. So uh, moving on to Snoopy Come Home. Snoopy Come Home is a 1972 American animated musical comedy drama. Jesus. Film directed by Bill Melendez and written by Charles M. Schultz, based on the Peanuts comic strip. The film marks the on-screen debut of Woodstock. 
uh, Interesting. Who had first appeared in the strip in 1967. The film was released in August 1972 by National General Pictures, produced by, by Lee Melendelson Films and Cinema Center Films in their final production. Snoopy and the rest of the Peanuts gang go to the beach for the day. Once there, Snoopy promises to go back to the beach the next day to meet up with Peppermint Patty. After Charlie Brown has gone home to play Monopoly with the others, he notices Snoopy is late and remarks he is tired of Snoopy being late. The next day, Snoopy is thrown off the beach due to new no dogs allowed on the beach rule, thus setting a running gag in the film. Then Snoopy gets thrown out of a library due to his disruptive behavior and another no dogs allowed library rule. He then gets into a fight with Linus over his blanket and later beats Lucy in a boxing match. Again, he's either kissing Lucy or they're fighting. It's weird. Later, Snoopy receives a letter from a girl named Lila, who has been in the hospital for three weeks for unspecified reasons and needs Snoopy to keep her company. Upon receiving the letter, Snoopy immediately sets off with Woodstock to go see her leaving Charlie Brown completely in the dark as to who Lila is. Linus decides to do some investigating and discovers that Lila is Snoopy's original owner. Charlie Brown faints upon hearing this. En route to see Lila, Snoopy and Woodstock are forced to face the challenges of a world full of signs, declaring no dogs allowed. Each instance on a bus, train, and elsewhere is musically extended by the deep tones of Thurl Ravenscroft. Ah, a repeat from our um, last podcast about Christmas specials. Um, Thrill Ravenscroft was the uh, voice of, um, or the singing voice the of, Grinch, you're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. It's a good, uh... Your heart's an empty hole. That's your, that's a good, um... You're a crooked something it. jockey. That's a good, what do you call it? Um, when you imitate someone. An imitation? Imitation, whatever. Um, that's not the word, though. Stink. Stank. No. Stunk. Not even do an imitation. Is it imitation? I don't know. That doesn't seem like the word I was looking for. <laughs> Anywho, the pair are briefly adopted as pets by animal obsessed girl identified as Clara. On the theatrical poster, the soundtrack, albums, back cover, and label, and closing captioning. But managed to escape. Snoopy and Woodstock come out and play football and music while preparing dinner. Snoopy finally reaches the hospital, but again, no dogs are allowed inside. To add further insult, the hospital does not allow birds to enter either. Snoopy is foiled in his first attempt to sneak into Lila's room, but his second attempt is successful. He then keeps Lila company for the rest of his stay. Lila tells Snoopy that that his visit helped her get better. She then asks Snoopy to come home with her, but he has doubts about this idea. Snoopy decides to go back home to Charlie Brown. However, when he sees Lila watching him tearfully from the hospital window, Snoopy finds that it's too hard to leave with her feelings hurt so badly. He runs back to her, which she takes as a sign that he wants to live with her. But first, he needs to return to settle his affairs and say goodbye. Snoopy writes a letter directing that certain items of his will be given away. Linus is given his croquet and chess sets, while Schroeder receives Snoopy's record collection. The kids throw Snoopy a large, tearful going-away party, each one of them bringing a gift. The kids decide to get Snoopy closest to Snoopy get up to say a few words in his honor, but when it is Shelly Brown's turn to speak, he is overwhelmed to the point of silence. After giving Snoopy his present, he finally cries out in pain with Snoopy doing likewise. The rest of the gang, even Lucy, eventually follows suit with Soda Plays 
It's a long way to Tipperary on his piano after Snoopy opens his mountain of presents. Every single gift is a talk bone. After Snoopy leaves, Charlie Brown is unable to sleep or eat. When Snoopy arrives at Lila's apartment building the next day, he sees a sign next to the front door that says no dogs allowed in this building. Snoopy is overjoyed that this gives him an excuse to return to Charlie Brown. Lila arrives and Snoopy is reluctantly introduced to her pet cat. Snoopy shows Lila the sign, and Lila has no choice but to allow Snoopy to leave. Snoopy leaves Lila behind and joyfully returns to Charlie Brown and the others. Back home, the children are overjoyed to see Snoopy return, carrying him on high to his doghouse. Once there, Snoopy demands that the kids return the items he has given them before he left, turning their feelings to annoyance. The gang then leaves Charlie Brown and Snoopy together. Then Charlie Brown walks crossly away. The film ends with end credits being typed up by Woodstock as Snoopy dictates. Oh, there's Jakey. Do you want to pause to get him? Or? Um, we can. Oh. All right. Let's, the face he's making currently. Let's try to bang this thing up. All right. Um, so... I remember this one being really sad. Yes. There's the Snoopy uh, Come Home song. It's yeah. Just they're singing. I think they're singing that. They're in a circle singing. I think that's when he comes back to settle his affairs. Jesus. I cried when that song came on, so I didn't watch it. And I think it was part my parents didn't let me because I cried. Yeah. I, Snoopy, why did you roam? Where, oh, where did you roam? Come home, come home. Why did you roam from home? And there's Jake again. Yeah, see, it's sad. So yeah, um, this one's sad, and um, again, this it's it's long. The characters are well fleshed out, um, and I I really like it. Yeah, I've seen it once or twice since then. It's like been on TV. Um. So now we get our final one, Sarah. Bon voyage, Charlie Brown, and don't, don't come, come back. back. An Ameri- uh, is a 1980 American French animated comedy drama film produced by United Feature Syndicate, distributed by Paramount Pictures. Directed by Bill Melendez and Phil Roman. It was the fourth full-length feature film to be based on the Peanuts comic strip and followed. it was followed three years later by an 83 television special, What Have We Learned, Charlie Brown, in which the gang sees memorials in places related to World Wars One and Two. That would be a good <coughs> one to watch now. It also uses the same voice cast that worked on the 79 Peanuts television special, You're the Greatest, Charlie Brown. This film is, contains a rare occurrence where the adults appear on screen, including having their faces entirely visible as well as speaking comprehensive lines. Um, <clears throat> it aired as CBS formally and has aired as ABC Family Freeform since November 27, 2013 as part of the countdown to 25 Days of Christmas kickoff to Christmas. At Charlie Brown's school, Linus Van Pelt. I want to interrupt for one second. The thing about the adults, they did that in the Mayflower one. Yes, they did. They... they we, I didn't go into as much detail, but they talked about it there. Linus Van Pelt introduces to his class two French students, Babette and Jacques, who will be spending two weeks there in order to get accustomed to the United States. In exchange, Charlie Brown, Linus, Peppermint Patty, Marcy, Snoopy, and Woodstock head to Europe on a student exchange plan for part of their school year. However, Charlie Brown is not very positive about the trip because of a letter from France that arrived before his departure, which invites him to stay at a fictional French chateau, the Chateau du Malvoisson, French House of the Bad Neighbor. The letter is written in French, but Marcy, who has been studying French, translates it. Do you want to grab him? Bang they out. first arrive in London, where Snoopy leaves the group temporarily to play tennis at Wimbledon where the beagle gets banned from the grounds when he loses his temper and after a dispute with a referee over a judgment Snoopy call, is getting banned everywhere. Cough. 
of the ball being in or out. When they arrive across the English Channel in France via hovercraft, they pick up a troublesome rental car, which must be driven by Snoopy as none of the others have a driver's license. But Snoopy does? Right. Though Snoopy enjoys grinding the gears out of it. Upon their arrival, the four go to their respective homes. Patty and Marcy go stay at a farm where they meet a boy named Pierre, who immediately attracts their attention. It's obvious that Marcy and Pierre have a spark between them, obvious to everyone except Patty, who manages to convince herself that Pierre likes her. Meanwhile, Charlie Brown, Linus, Snoopy, and Woodstock go to the... Uh, Chateau. Chateau, which they find is apparently abandoned, though somebody keeps leaving food for them and making their beds after they leave for school. In reality, the Chateau is owned by an unfriendly baron, and the person leaving Charlie Brown and Linus' food is the baron's kindly niece, Violette Honfleur. Now, we have to note, Lucy is not in this one. That's correct. Because she's stuck back in um, the U.S. Me. We're going to break shortly. To grab Jake. Do that. All right. Eventually, Linus manages to track Violette down and demand what is going on. Violette says that although her uncle is irritable, she must remember what a U.S. Army soldier had done for her family by helping them out during the First World War. Violet shows Linus a picture of the soldier and comments that the soldier looks like Charlie Brown, and it is revealed that the soldier is actually Charlie Brown's grandfather, Silas Brown. Linus and Violet later continue to investigate further. The mystery culminates in an accidental fire in the chateau's attic, doused before too much damage occurs thanks to Snoopy keeping it under control until the local fire department arrives to assist. Thankful for the chateau's rescue, the Baron has a change of heart and allows the gang inside. And Charlie Brown learns the truth behind the mysterious letter he received from Violet. And he, Snoopy, Linus, Patty, and Marcy leave for their new friends to see more of the French countryside and eventually return home to the United States. The film came three years after Raised for Your Life, Charlie Brown, and would be the last traditionally animated Peanuts film from the Bill Melendez studio. The characters would not return to film until 2015's computer-animated The Peanuts Movie. Bom. So what was your initial experience with this one? Um, This one was another one that I remember, one of the big ones I remember from being a kid, was this one, The Chateau. Um, I have it on DVD, and I remember watching it with my dad, you know, my mom. It was one of the ones we watched at my house. I think we have it on VHS. I remember this Shock. was one that we watched often in school. Like, when they'd have, you know, like, you'd, you'd watch movies at the end of the year, you know, semester or whatever. Because they had a couple of days. This was one the teachers always liked to play. Yeah. yeah I, I just remember watching this at my, my family. Like, I think if you had asked Dad, he'd probably remember this one. It's a good one. I it's yeah. it's it's very different. I always thought the the hovercraft thing was bizarre. Yeah, I thought that was weird as hell. Yeah, but I guess that would be a ferry nowadays. Yes, it would. Is this one just always struck me as being very different from it was all of dark. them? Dark. It had a lot more of like a direct story to it, and, and the fact that they showed the um, adults yeah. was very interesting. Um, yeah, but I you know. I'd show it to Ava, just the same. Oh, of course. I mean, the characters are timeless, right? Yeah. Um, so, what are your favorite Peanuts characters, Sarah? Um, I love Charlie Brown. I think he's... I feel bad he gets the short end of the stick all the time. Um, and Linus, because Linus, Snoopy, will always hold a place in my heart because he's Snoopy. If I ever got a beagle, I'd name him Snoopy. 
Yeah. I'm sorry. I know that's that's very cliche, but yeah. And he would need a bird, and it would be named Woodstock. Just I I can't. I don't know that I really could say I have a favorite. I love them all. I've always even Lucy, who's a douchebag, but still Lucy has some of the most quotable bits. Um, yeah. you know, I've I've we didn't talk about them in any of this, but I always liked Lucy's um uh psychologist booth. You know, she had a, like the lemonade stand that she yeah, made be whatever it needed to be. What's the thing with um with Charlie Brown? You have Clopton cliptophobia. Oh, what's that? The fear of everything. That's, that's it. <laughs> Aliophagia. I remember some of them. And it's it's interesting because Charlie Brown's always depressed. And I like that a, she calls him a blockhead. And as a kid, it was always good to like watch something where they could admit that kids could have these types of feelings. That it wasn't just an adult that had to, you know, like live. Like a kid could be burnt out by the holidays, and a kid could be, you know, over um, overloaded by how fast the world is moving. You know, these are themes that, like, I don't necessarily think parents were at at the time period these were released. I don't think it was accepted in society that kids could have these types of problems. You know, you kind of just did what you were told. Yeah. And, you know, having kids, you know, comment on the commercialization of Christmas or how ridiculous Halloween traditions can be or how ridiculous Valentine's traditions can be and focusing on the kid that was always left out of everything. You know what I mean? Now, you can edit this out if you think it shouldn't be on here, but I read something recently about the Thanksgiving one that points out that um, Franklin... Yeah. Sits on the side, his own side of the Thanksgiving. Yeah, table. that is and a little... And whether or uh, not that it was a racial thing. No, no, that's a, that's a very good point. Um, and Franklin not something I ever really noticed. Until. Franklin wasn't in all the specials either, right? That might have no. been the only one I remember. Like, I noticed it, cause it what, but why it stuck out to me was because when Snoopy set in the table, there's settings around the whole thing. And yeah. then all of a sudden, Franklin's by himself. But then I think in one shot, he's not by himself. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Um, yeah. the, the other thing, you know, you, you, you talk about, um, you know, paralleling maybe in the other direction is that Snoopy's entire thing in Snoopy Come Home, um, not being allowed everywhere, is an interesting parallel to the 50s and 60s being like the big breaking of segregation. Yeah. You know, in the country and kind of putting Snoopy in that role yeah. um, is pretty interesting. So, um, yeah, and, and, you know, you kind of already talked about it, but I still think my favorite special is Great Pumpkin. Yeah. I know it's your least favorite, and yeah. that's interesting, but it, it's it's what I always... I mean, I still love it, and it's I, what I always watch it. I don't hate of. it, but if I had to, like, categorize them, that one's, like, blow the barrel. It's what I've, I always think And of. something else, and I don't remember if I read it, or if it was in one of the, like, making up specials on the DVD, but they were talking about when Charles Schultz passed away, and, you know, someone had had said something to him about, you know, would Charlie Brown ever get to kick the football? And one of the things he's quoted as saying is, I always wondered if he'd get to to um, kick the see if I'd ever get to see the kid kick the football, which would lead me to, th- like, I could, I'd have to go back and find the whole thing. Um, but basically, it sounds like he was planning to have Charlie Brown kick the football. Interesting. So, yeah, um, th- that's for an overlong version of what we normally do here. Um, you know, uh, thank you again for listening. Um, as always, post comments, topic ideas, and anything else to patreon.com slash the Chippa or to the YouTube page. Um, and again, listen to the other shows, Chipman Brothers Tangent, Talkbuster, Shooting the S with Chippa. Um, wanted to end this, to, you know, kind of a fun way to um, plug the Patreon. But um, I always think of Sally. Um, so I'll say this to you guys, uh, talking to Santa, um, 
I have a long list of presents that I want. Uh, please note the size and color of each item and send as many as possible. If it seems too complicated, I'll make it easy on my patrons. Just send money. How about tens and twenties? <laughs> I just thought that would be really funny. And so, Sarah, as we always say, Oh, even. <laughs> no, kidding. Oh, all I want is what I have coming to me. All I want is my fair share. share. Oh, no. God. Even my husband. Anyways, there's no shame in being a geek, no matter how old you are. Bye, everyone.